Good morning. Happy Fourth of July. Everybody's excited. No, one, one person's excited. That's better. Two of you, three of you, a few of you are. Hey, we just got back from the beach. And listen, be excited that you're not on your way to the beach. My gosh, that traffic was unreal trying to get down there. You need to pray for those people. I got to wonder about that going to the beach over the fourth. Hey, this is uh, this is a, a neat season, a neat time to be here. Uh, Matt mentioned next week that's going to be exciting. I would tell you this: if you've been a part of this body, or if it's something you, you, you you're interested in, where we're going, what we're doing, you'll want to come next next Sunday. You want to come every Sunday, I think, it's being part of the body. But we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about some some projections and some the tra- trajectory. I start to say the tragedy of this church. I hope it's not the tragedy, the trajectory of this church. We're gonna be talking about that next week. I think I'm gonna kind of kick that off, and then the following week you're gonna really want to be here because Matt's gonna come up. Uh, and I just know, I know what's on his heart, and you, you're going to be in for a treat. It, it will be amazing. It always is. I love Matt's my pastor. I love hearing him talk, and the wisdom in the young man is amazing, so you'll want to be there. But this, it'll be a time if you want to know what Journey Church is about, because we're going to kind of shift gears. We feel like we're at that point, so come up and check it out. Uh, we got gadgets and gizmos. If you were here last year, that was crazy. We had kids running everywhere. Uh, one of the things I was sitting with Matt's talking about, we're going to feed these guys on Wednesday morning if you want to come and eat. Does anybody know a cardiologist looking for a church? Because we desperately need to find one as much as we eat around here. We're going to need some help with that. But uh, all jokes aside, it's amazing what happens when we come together as a body to serve this community. So we're excited about that. Uh, thrilled you're here today. I'm thrilled you're here today because today's message to me is important. And it's important because, I, 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 it's important because of this. It either is going to speak directly to you or it will speak to someone you know. I have no doubt about that. What we're going to talk about today will speak to you personally or it will speak to you in regards to someone you know. And the issue we're going to talk about today is painful. Uh, And if it's one you're dealing with, it's painful to you. If it's someone you know, it's painful to them. And if you know them closely, it's painful to both of you. So it's one of those things I just felt compelled to talk about. It's messy. And in church, for some reason, I don't understand this, but in church, we've made an issue out of trying to dodge messy issues. And I don't get that because Christ, that's why I kind of thought he'd come to clear up some of the messes in our life. But yet there's certain things that we, we don't want to deal with and we don't want them coming in the doors. And we've tried to fight that. We've, we've always said we built this thing so you could come as you are. We, we want you to come as you are. You don't have to check in your, your, your shortcomings and your, your errors and your things. You don't have to check them in at the door. We want you to bring them in. Now, we hope you come in bringing all that. We hope we can help you through Christ alleviate some of the pains and the problems and you go out with a different heart and a better person. But, but you've got to come in. We've got to meet people right where they're at. So that's why this message to me today is, is so special to me because it speaks to some things that I think the church just doesn't like to deal with. If you've been, we've been doing this a little bit for the last several weeks. If you were with us two weeks ago, I started talking about messed up lives and what happens in our lives when we just completely fail to plan. We don't, we don't make right choices. We typically don't make right choices because we, we don't plan and we don't have any direction in where we're going. It, the, the roadmap for me is, is this book. We can always turn to this for the directions and the plans of our life. But we typically don't do that and we make decisions and then we wonder why they, they don't go well. Well, because we didn't plan for a good outcome. And when, when we fail to plan, we get the outcome that's probably due to us. And usually it can get pretty chaotic in our lives. And that, that leads to some struggles and some pains that it, every one of us deal with these things. I, I mean, that's why I like a message like this because there's no one in this room that's immune to, the, to these things. Or at least I don't think so. If you are, then I'd like to talk to you because you need to help me a little bit. But we, we live in these messed up lives and, and we don't plan and then we, 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 we become stressed. 
We talked about that last week. We get stressed out. And again, it's something that everybody in this room has been probably faced with, with stress at some point in your life. You've had to deal with it uh, directly, indirectly. Uh, it compounds and it builds. It, it makes our life really messy. I mean, you've, you've been around them. You've seen people that are stressed out. And we, we make bad decisions. We hurt the people we're around. That's one of the things I see in these type issues a lot is, is when I'm stressed, my wife is hurting as much as anybody. When I'm stressed, the body, the church body that I'm in charge of would be hurt because I'm dealing with stress, and my stress all of a sudden becomes overriding. It gets my attention, and what gets our attention, we talked about this last week, what gets my attention will determine my direction. So all of a sudden, I'm faced on my stress and my mess, and I'm not focused on my wife, and I'm not focused on this body. More importantly, I'm not focused on Jesus. That's the most important thing. When I get stressed out and lose focus, I'm no longer focused on Jesus, and that compounds everything. I mean, that's where things really start going downhill in my life, and I would suspect in your life as well. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, then maybe not so much, but the principles still apply to you. If you're here today and you're not a follower, and we're thrilled you're here, the principle of following Jesus may not change, but listen, stress and messed up lives is still stressed and messed up life. The, the, the consequences are much the same. It's just that I have a different hope than those who don't have Christ has because I can find peace and I can find direction through Christ and his teachings when I take the time to focus on that. But, so as I, as I wrestled with this and I thought about it, and I was really reluctant to do this, uh, this is, I, I said earlier today, this is a, a, it's a fun message. It's not a fun, that's the wrong term. This is a, the, probably one of the hardest messages I've ever done. Because I think it speaks to so many people. I was, afterwards, several people came up and was talking to me about some of the numbers I used. And, you said, and they said, you know those are very conservative, that it's much worse than what you told us. And I, I don't know. I just go by the numbers I look at. But this is an issue that, that every one of us, I think, has faced or will face either in our own lives personally or in someone's life around us. And, and what I want to talk about is, is this. I think if you take a messed up life, I want to talk about the sum total of the two, a messed up life and a stressed out life. What happens when those two collide? And one of the things that happen when those two collide in our lives is it often leads to, and this isn't a clinical diagnosis, I'm not a doctor, so please forgive me for this, but I think one of the things it leads to is a depressed life. And, and that's, a, that's a subject we don't deal with in church. We don't want to talk about depression. That's, that's taboo. We can't talk about that because Christians don't deal with depression. I, I've heard that all my life. Well, you, you're, you, if you're a Christian, you can't deal with depression. That's the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard, and we can say garbage in here. Because that's just nonsense. In, in my life, I don't know who came up with that, but that makes no sense. A Christian can't deal with depression, so you're telling me you're stress-free, you have no mess in your life, and you walk on water. I mean, that's kind of what that starts to sound like to me, a little, little religious, a little self-righteous. But I think we do deal with depression, and I think we should deal with it, and I think as a church, we should deal with it head-on. I, I I, that's the one place we should deal with it head-on. I said a while ago, we, you don't have to check your depression in at the back door. You, you don't. You don't have to check your, your, your shortcomings in at the back door. We want you to bring them in. We want to bring them in so we can deal with them up front and out in the open. Now, it's not public knowledge. That's not what I'm talking about. But if we don't know you have problems and we don't know you're struggling, and trust me this, Jesus knows, and for the most part, I know you're struggling and have problems. Because I've looked around and I don't see many of you guys that walk on water. So therefore, you're not a perfect person, and you have struggles, and you have issues in your life. You may or may not be depressed, or you may or may not know someone that's depressed. My guess is well, you, either or. You either are or you know someone in your life that's depressed or dealing with depression. But we just don't like to talk about it because it's messy, and there's no clear-cut answer to it. 
But the thing that causes me as much grief about the issue as is, is anything is, I've heard this so much. Well, you can't be a Christian and be depressed because that's a lack of faith. That shows a lack of faith. You're weak. And I would say again, pardon my theology and my doctrine, that's just a load of garbage. I could use a different word, but that's a load of garbage. Because I think you can be a very devout follower of Christ and still battle with stress and chaos and depression in your life. So much so, to, to kind of make a case for where I was going with this, I did a little research in the Bible, and I didn't have to do much because I've studied this thing a little bit. I can give you some A players in the Bible that dealt with what I think was depression. And these were the big guys. I mean, these, these, are, these are A-plus players in, in the Bible. They, they're in the Bible throughout. They, 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 they did some amazing things, and yet I think straight up they dealt with depression. I mean, <laughs> and you, I don't know the... the clinical definition for depression but I've, I've seen around i've been around it and i've seen it uh but when somebody starts talking about ending their life pretty good bet they're depressed that's a pretty not not the only sign of, of depression i think you can be depressed and not want to end your life but when you see that as a sign i think that's a characteristic of you're probably depressed and yet when i read the scriptures and i, I hear people say well you can't be a christian and be depressed and yet i read the scriptures and i see these guys that were really close to god really close and they're talking about ending their own life because things are so hard and so tough. I think we can throw that logic out the door. I think we can. I think it's okay. It's, it's horrible that we go through this, but it's nothing to be embarrassed about. So if you're here today and you're dealing with depression, it is nothing to be embarrassed about. The embarrassment is the church won't deal with it. Not that you are depressed. It's that you can't come to your church, to your, your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm hurting. Whatever the pain is, especially if it's depression, but whatever the pain, when you can't come to your church family and say, I'm hurting, what does that say about the church family? I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. What does that say about our church family? Because I would hope we could come and share with each other anything and everything that's going on. But let me share a little bit, because I know you want proof. You don't want to just hear my word on this about these A players. The first guy that, that is, I thought about this, I thought, I think he dealt with depression. I think he was as messed up as we are. There's a guy named Moses. Any of you know, you ever read about Moses? Moses was a pretty amazing guy. Uh, quick history, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was amazing. God had done some amazing things, man, but he's, he's great. I mean, he's great. If there's ever a guy that I think you could make a case for, you should have had a real case for why he was depressed, it's Moses. So, I mean, he dealt with these Israelite folks for a long time, and they were knuckleheads. I hope there's no one in here that can claim that. But everything was complaint. Everything. Everything was complaint. And Moses heard it day in and day out and day in and day out to the point of, listen to what he says. This is Moses now. Listen to what he says in Numbers 11, verse 13 through 15. He's talking about feeding these people. Where can I get meat for all these people? Some of you, that's probably a source of your depression right there is how am I going to take care of my family? I, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet this week. How, how in the world am I going to tell? I don't know what I'm going to do. Moses says, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Sound familiar? Sound familiar that the burdens have been too heavy in your life? Yeah, I don't have a clue how I'm going to get through this, how I'm going to carry this. The burdens, they're too heavy. I don't know what to do. If this is how you're going to treat me, listen to Moses, put me to death right now. If I have favor in your eyes and do not let my face, and do not let me face my own ruin. Don't know about you guys. That sounds like a guy that's depressed to me. Sounds like a guy that's got more than he can handle in his life. Now, this is a guy that's got favor with God. 
He was called to lead Israelite out of bondage into a promised land. He's close to God. And yet he's saying, take my life. I can't deal with this. There's too much on me. I can't handle it. So I think back to this where you can't be a Christian, you can't be a follower of Christ and deal with depression. Somebody might want to talk to Moses because he dealt with God on a regular basis and a pretty close relationship. And yet he's saying, man, I, I can't deal with this. Take my life. Take it away. There's another guy that, that's absolute A player. He, he's actually one of the guys I love in the Bible. His name's Elijah. Some of you know about Elijah. The, the stories of Elijah are amazing to me. The story I like the most is Elijah is preparing for a barbecue. And some of you are going, what are you talking about? Well, there's this thing in Mount Carmel where he's calling out the, the, the false prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he's, he's saying, bring them, and we're going to prepare some altars. You call your God. I'm going to call my God, and we're going to call down fire, and we're going to see who has the barbecue first. And, I'm, and some of you are going, that's not the way that story goes. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. But Elijah kind of wants to talk some junk in there, too. So not only he says, listen, you call your gods, I'm going to call my God. And before you call and I call, how about dumping some water on my altar? Let's soak the logs. Put some more on there. No, put some more. I want them soaked. Now, call down, call down. If you know the story, I can tell you which burned and which didn't. Now, that, that's Elijah. That's a guy that, that, listen, he wasn't calling on God hoping he would act. He was calling on God knowing he was going to act. That's pretty solid. That's solid. You can't, you can't fail when you have that faith in Jesus or in God at that time, not Jesus. But in God, he had that faith in God. He's saying, listen, it's coming. I'm not worried so much. You call on your God. What's wrong? Are they asleep? Are they having lunch? He's talking smack. We know that today from watching the NBA. They do it all the time. Well, Elijah wrote the book on it. He's calling them down. Guess what? Guess what? Amazing. Amazing. But if you flip over just one more chapter, one more chapter, now I want you to remember the, the, the strength of this guy when I read this to you. Remember the strength of this guy, what he just did, what he's just accomplished. He's called down, he's called down God to, to burn the altar. And then this is what we read in 1 Kings 19, verse 3 through 4. Elijah was afraid. If you've ever been depressed or you've been around somebody that's dealing with depression, typically they're scared. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Something else I've seen was when we're depressed, we, we want to run from life in and of itself. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He, wanted, he, he was recluse. He wanted to be removed. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You can't deal with depression and no God. I don't know where we get that from, church. I don't know why we would ever come up with that. What we've got to be better at is you can deal with depression, and the church has got to deal with that. I mean, if we're going to be a family, we don't get to pick and choose. We, we cannot pick and choose what we deal with and do not deal with. Listen, we come together, we do life together, and we do it better together. We don't get to pick and choose and separate, well, we'll not deal with this sin, and we won't deal with that, but we'll take this one. Say, your sin's okay, his sin's messed up. His is a lack of faith. Well, if it was a lack of faith, tell me about this guy that just called down these flames. That sounded like a pretty, if you read that story, and you can back up to chapter 18, and I think it's 17, 18, you'll start reading about that. That sounded like a man of great faith to me. Now, in 19, he sounds like a man with, facing a lot of depression. 
He's ready to give up on life. He says, take my life. It's pretty crazy. Especially when we're saying you can't be depressed and be a Christian. It would be embarrassing to be depressed and be a Christian is what we're really saying. Because that's a lack of faith. Let me, let me, those are Old Testament guys. And we, we, we like Old Testament guys. We love New Testament guys. Because we know everything changed. There's a New Testament guy that speaks the same language. He really does. And, and he's, a, he's a hero as we know him today. He's, he, now, you're talking about a guy that was kind of messed up, though. Paul, as we know him, Paul started out, he hated Christians. I mean, he, he made a life out of persecuting and seeing that they were executing and tormenting, just giving them all kinds of grief. He hated Christians. And then the next thing you know, he has this conversion. I mean, he has this conversion through Christ. And now guess what? He is one. That's pretty crazy. So he's okay, well, this guy's already messed up a little bit. No, he's just found the right way. But so he goes from persecuting to making a life of leading and sharing and telling and, and moving the church forward. We're here today because of a lot of the work that Paul did. I mean, he, he pursued the church now instead of pursuing uh, the death and, and the annihilation of Christians. Now he's pursuing pushing the church forward. And, and Paul had this amazing life. And, and, and was close, I think he had this close relationship with Jesus Christ. I know he did. As I read the stories, I know he did. To have the conversions he had, he had to. His faith had to be just overwhelming. To go from where he was at to think, okay, I was this and now I'm this. He said, I was the worst of the worst. And today, I'm, I want to share Christ with everyone. But yet, Paul, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffer in the providence of Asia. That right there in and of itself, we, we want you to know about the struggles and the problems. I want you to know about the pain. We were under great pressure, far beyond our abilities to endure. You've been there. If you've dealt with depression or you know someone, the pressure's more than they can endure. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. And we've made it virtually impossible for them to turn to the church. We were under great pressure, far beyond our abilities to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. We despaired even of life. Paul said, I don't know what I'm living for. Sounds like a man that's dealing with some depression to me. A man that's close to God, I think his faith is sky high, rock solid. But he's saying, listen, this is hard. And I've had more hardships than I can handle and I can carry by myself. That's the key. We try to do it by ourselves. So if you're here today and you're, you're, you're dealing with depression and, or you know someone's dealing with depressions, maybe that's one of the keys you need to hang on to. Dealing with it by yourself will not work. Because Paul gives us this next, and I think what he's really saying, I know he's saying, it's pretty powerful, is when we think that God's through with us, he hasn't given up on us. Because in verse 10 we read this, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. So even in His depression, even in His problems and His pain and His suffering, He knows where His hope comes from. And He calls on that, and He calls out on it. And basically I think what He's saying is, is when we think God's done with us, He hasn't given up on us. And we can call on Him, we can call on Him. And we can call on him, and we can call him. Isn't that amazing? Because I, I believe this, and I, I'll share some statistics with you. 
you may be dealing with depression. My guess is you know someone dealing with depression. As I look at the statistics, 7% of the population in this country deal with depression. 7%. Well, put that in because there's, what, 360-some million people in this country. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So look at it this way. If there's 100 people in this room, there's seven people. Seven people sitting in here dealing with depression. Seven people. Did you know that? Did you know that? Here's what I don't know. It may be you, maybe you, maybe you, maybe me. Who knows? There's seven people. Statistically, statistics are pretty accurate on things like this. A lot of people have told me that's too low, and I saw other statistics that suggest it is low, but I tried to take the more conservative. Seven percent of the U.S. population deals with depression. But you can't be a Christian and deal with it because that would be embarrassing. So what do we expect Christians to do who are depressed? My guess is they would turn from the church. Seven percent. Gets even crazier. This one was a surprise to me. Women. Women are 70% more likely to deal with depression than men. Any of you know a woman? Some of you are. Maybe you're dealing with depression, and maybe you don't feel comfortable dealing with it through Christ in the church. Isn't that a shame? That's, that's on us, by the way, guys. That's on, that's on the church. When, when, when you feel ashamed to come to your church with your problems, then we, but yet we expect you, what do we, what do we expect? If you can't bring your problems, if you can't bring your, your issues and your trouble and you can't bring them, what do we expect? 30%, 30% of our college students today are dealing with depression. Any of you know a college student? Because 30 out of 100 are dealing with some form of depression. This one, this one's, heart, they're all heartbreaking. 11%, 11% of our kids before they're 18 years old will struggle with depression. And yet the church doesn't want to touch it. And we've got the answers. I, I believe, I think, I know. We've got the answers. But we don't put them into play. Now, here's, here's the craziest thing about all those statistics. is 50% of those people that are dealing with depression will never ask for help. So where do they turn? Where do they go? What do we do? Let me, let me share another person with you. I, I, those three amazing stories of these strong biblical men who dealt with depression. I'm going to give you one more. He's not an A-lister by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't even make the book at all. But I know this. I know this person. I know, I know for a fact that they love Christ and they love Christ. They worship Christ. They serve Christ. And yet, 15 years ago, he dealt with depression. And that person's me. That's me, your pastor. I dealt with depression. I did. And some of you are saying, well, why are we here? He dealt with depression. And he can't be a good man of God and deal with depression. Let me tell you that. Not only did I deal with depression, I was a church leader. I was a business leader. I was building a business. And I dealt with depression. And this is what I've learned about depression. It's painful. And it hurts. And if you're not dealing with it, that's awesome. And if you don't know anyone dealing with that, that's awesome because I can tell you this. If you're dealing with it or you know someone, people are hurting around them. My wife hurt more than I did at times. Thank goodness I had a very wonderful wife to see me through it. But 15 years ago, I dealt with depression. And, and I know, listen, I can have this conversation because I know what it's like. I know what it's about. And I know this. I was embarrassed to go to the church and ask for help. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? Now, that's on me, but I... I going to say this too i think it's on the church as well i think it's on the church because we've got to be reach our arms should always be open we we talk about this we don't make a lot of policies we just try to reach our arms out 
you bring your problems. We'll wait in about this deep with you. We will. Now, we may mess up some because we don't have these strict policies, but I found most of the time I have to finish writing the policy, I can wad it up and throw it in the garbage can because the next person won't fit it. So we don't write. If you want to know where our policy book's at, you can look in my trash can. Sorry, and if that's offensive to you, it's just what it is. It's in my trash can, and it's been empty, by the way, and I'm not going to write another one tomorrow. If you don't see Matt's policy, he's probably a little better than me. No, he's not. His is in the trash can gone, too. Because I know Matt, he's going to wade into about this deep. I know that young man. He's going to wade in deeper than I am. But it's painful. Depression is painful. It hurts. And I, I, I tell you this. Listen, let me, let me tell you this. I stand here today. Uh, that was 15 years ago. I'm healed. And I don't stand here as a victim. I stand here victorious today because my healing came through Jesus Christ. Uh, make no bones about it. And I, I revel in that. It's not about me. It's about His glory. It's about His glory. Uh, there's a lot of things that happened in that period. And I, it, was, it was an absolutely insane period in my life and my wife's. I made her life miserable. Uh, you know, when I read about marriage, and, and our marriage is far from perfect, man. She married me. There's no way it was going to be perfect. But when I read about it, you're talking about a loyal wife. I have one. She, she understands what the better or worse is. She saw the worst. Now, I wasn't abusing her. Not, not, not intentionally. I'm sure my actions was abusive. But she, you're talking about loyal. There, there was times I just wanted to see her face to ground me, to bring me back. Because I, I, was, I, was, I was miserable. I was sick. Now listen, I was sick. Listen to what I'm saying. I was sick. It was hurting. And I was nowhere to turn in my mind. And it, but this is real. And, and this is the thing that, that drives me nuts today. Is it's real. And when I read these statistics, and I know they're low. When I know they're low, I think, how many people in our body are hurting? And I, I can talk to you vividly about it, but I can do even better than that. I can share scripture with you. I can share Jesus with you. And Jesus is the hope and the healer. Make no bones about it. Jesus is the hope and the healer. But one of the things people want to ask me, and I understand this. These are fair questions. They said, what do you think caused your depression? Again, I am not a doctor. I have no clue clinically what causes depression. I understand the chemical imbalances that that's part of it. It's a combination of things. I think there's some practical practices in our life that cause depression and those I can speak to a little bit for me personally I don't know if you're dealing with it if these even touch on what you've dealt with but for me there was three things that I identified that really spiraled me into this depression one of the things I learned also about depression that I didn't understand till later on is it's subtle or it was for me is, is I, I just you know today was a little worse but tomorrow will be better and tomorrow never gets here and the next day, I'll spiral a little more, and tomorrow never got it. But tomorrow's going to be good. And your faith, Mark, you got to rely on your faith. Man, I, I, my faith is rock solid. People come and say, well, you, you lack faith. You don't want to have that discussion with me. I, I can assure you, you do not want to. I loved Jesus then. I love him now. My faith was rock solid, and I was depressed and sick. That's all it was to it. But some of the things that probably caused my depression that brought it on, number one, I think this was the thing that really triggered it, was the pace of my life. It was just completely out of hand. People say today, I never slow down. Listen, this is slow motion. Because 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, I was in this, actually been 20, I guess. I was in the process of, of, I was running a very successful business that I had been given the keys to, and the owner said, here, I need you to run this. We're having a great time. Business was good. Everybody's boat was rising, man. The economy couldn't be stopped, and everything was great. So it wasn't me, but the business was good. I launched a new business on my own that had taken off, and it was doing well. I was praying about this to him. I said, God, man, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. You know, sometimes he loves us enough he lets us make our own choices. Sometimes he loves us enough he lets us make our own choices. That's pretty powerful in and of itself. And I understand that now more than ever because he let me make my choices and I realized they were wrong. 
his were right. But the pace of my life was out of hand. I was working 14 to 16 hours. I know you're going, well, you couldn't have worked that much. Trust me, I worked that much. The pace of my life was out of control. And, and some of you guys, I asked in the last hour, it was amazing. How many of you remember, cars today have tachometers on them. When I was a kid, a car had a tachometer, and it had a red line. Do any of you remember the red lines? Yeah. You, you know why they're there? Because if you put that needle in there too long, guess what happens to the car? It blows up. Guess what happens to your body when you put the needle over there too long? It'll blow up. It'll blow. I think I was fortunate. That, and people say, well, how could you say it's fortunate? You said you were depressed. Yeah, I didn't die. It could have easily been a heart attack, stroke, who knows what. I didn't die. But, but the pace of my life was out of control. To the detriment of my wife. She looked at me one night. She said, Mark, I don't even know who you are anymore. Let me tell you another thing. I just said I worked 14 to 16 hours. Exhaustion. Exhaustion will absolutely kill you. I mean, I was sleeping three to four hours. Um, my brain never cut off, and actually I cried more than I slept. So when I woke up in the morning, if I, if I even went to sleep, I was as tired as I was when I went to bed. Exhaustion will kill you. Let me give you the third one because we're going to have to move. This is the most important one of the three, and I think this is really where my depression came from. It's called disobedience. See, it was all about my will and not God's will. I knew for a long time where he had called me and where I was supposed to be. And I absolutely, absolutely, I make no bones about this and it's embarrassing. I refused to obey. And because he loved me so much, he let me make my own choices. And because I made my own choices and saw the errors of my way, today I can stand here and say that maybe, 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 maybe was the greatest time of my life. It changed me in a way that I could have never imagined. Pretty crazy. Now, let me share three things right quick that, that allowed me to get through my depression. This one wasn't in it, the first sermon, but I'll say this. No, one was a wife that stood beside me. Amazing. Godly woman stood beside me, and I appreciate that. I will forever love her for that. But the three I want to talk about, and the first one's going to be controversial, and you're going to say, well, it shows a lack of faith, and I would say, you're nuts. Sorry, pardon the pun. Doctors care and medicine. I went to my doctor. I went to my doctor. I shared the story with him. He said, I've got some medication I want you to try. I want you to take this. Come back in 30 days and we'll talk. This is how messed up I am. This is how much I was in control. I took one dose. And he told me, he said, it takes 30 days to get in your system. My dose was a miracle. It healed me, healed me in one, one dose. I was good. I never took another one. 30 days I went back. His first question was, how are you doing? I said, I'm worse than I was. He said, the medicine didn't help. I said, I don't know. I didn't take it. Best doctoring I ever had. He said, then leave. You need to leave. He said, I know your faith. And I, know. I said, he said, I know you don't believe it. I said, it's got nothing to do with it. I just didn't take it. I didn't think I needed it. He said, it's obvious you need it. It had nothing to do with my faith. Let me explain faith to you. If you're one of these people that say Christians don't need medicine, they need to rely on their faith, let me, let me help you with this. First of all, put down your NyQuil bottle and your Tylenol bottle. I'm sorry. Sickness is sickness. Secondly, my faith is not in that medicine. My, and by the way, who do you think gave us the ability and the wisdom to create medicines? I mean, come on, let's, let's play. If we're going to play big boy stuff here, let's play big boy stuff. I, you're not that smart. Our Savior gives us that ability. My faith was in that God could take a medicine in a bottle and give it to me through a doctor who was smart enough to tell me to leave because I was too hard-headed to take it and that it would start helping me. My faith was in that God, not that bottle of pills. The pills helped. Absolutely. Go to the doctor. Get some help. The next thing I did, I stopped denying that there was a problem. See, I didn't think anything was wrong. I thought it was normal to sleep none and cry more and 
lose weight and to the point of one of your friends thought you were terminally ill. That's scary when somebody comes up and asks me, that I think, when are you dying? I don't know, I hope. But I stopped denying there was a problem. And I started relying on Jesus and then my wife. And then I started bringing some friends in, some close friends. It's amazing when we do life together what happens. It's amazing. How many of you ever felt bad? You were down and you were out and somebody came up and gave you a hug? Maybe the best medicine I've ever had. Maybe the best medicine I've ever administered was just a hug. Man, it's amazing what that'll do for you. I quit doing it by myself. And I began, the third thing, I began addressing the disobedience in my life. That was key for me. I had to address the disobedience. Still didn't completely get it. Still didn't completely get it. But I had to start addressing it. And I knew I was running, I was running towards my will and away from God's will. And as I struggled with that, I thought, this, this, I've got to relent. I've got to relent. And then I realized, even though as, as, as disobedient as I've been, it hit me, it hit me through all of this, that God hadn't given up on me yet. He had not given up on me yet. That's what he sent his son for. That's why the church has got to be open about these things, guys. God's not giving up on you. If you're breathing, God's not giving up on you yet. You have hope and you have a chance. The other thing I learned is God can take my pain and turn it into my gain for his glory. And that's what I saw. It was amazing. He can take my pain and turn it into my gain for his glory. Because I couldn't do it on my own. Doctors couldn't do it on their own. My wife couldn't heal me on her own. You guys with your hugs couldn't heal me on your own. But through God, through Jesus Christ, we can be healed. And we can overcome this messed up life that we call distress. We may have been one of the 7%, but I refuse to stay in the 7%. Today, I stand here victorious. It's a, it's, a, it's a good season for me. I stand here victorious. What's the next season? I don't know. But I think if I'll do these things, if I'll stay obedient, I'll stay focused, I'll live a clean life, a good life, then from, from the depression thing, I think I can beat it. I hear people say, well, mine came back. Mine hasn't. Mine hasn't. I'm, I've never been as excited as I am to be a part of a wonderful church, to, to, to serving a, an amazing God, the creator of all things. And that gives me hope, that gets me up, and that gets me going every day. So kind of to wrap it up, is, 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 and I just hope this gives somebody some hope because the church hasn't stepped up on this one, I don't think. If I can give you some hope, I would give you these three things. Meditate on God's Word. If you're struggling with depression or you know someone it is, and if you know someone it is, maybe you need to meditate on the Word so you can share it with them. But just take God's Word and study it and see what it says. Study some of these guys' lives. They did some amazing things to be depressed individuals. Here's the other thing I've learned, and we've got to grasp hold of this one. You've got to expect God to work. My doctor expected me to take the pills. We've got to expect God to work because he's standing there going, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. If you'll call, I'm waiting. My arm, I'm right here. He, he never left me. He never, he, he never left me. I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. We've got to expect him to move and to work, and he will. The third and final thing is you just got to learn to be obedient to God. Above all things, we've got to be obedient to God. It'll take out a lot of the things that cause the stress and the chaos and the depression in our lives when we're obedient to God. It removes, it, it's a filter that just removes so much impurity from our lives. It's amazing what it'll do. It's amazing how it'll set you free. Amazing what happens when we do life together, though, church. And I say that seriously. When we do life together as a church family, as family of, of believers coming together, when we do life together, it's amazing what it will change. I, I, I don't, 
don't know where you're at today. And maybe, maybe I hope, I pray no one in this room is dealing with depression. I hope you don't even know anyone dealing with depression. Statistics would say that can't happen. But if you're here today and you are dealing with it, then I'm telling you, here's where the hope starts. Will you walk out of here today just because you grab hold of this healed? Probably not. You could. I think God can move in that way, but probably not. But when you make this the practice, I think you'll see an amazing progression forward. I think you'll see a life change that you, can, you can't, I, really, you can't even imagine. See, here's what I understand. I was praying for my will, and it looked pretty good. It was about worldly success. See, I was, I was on track. I was running this business, but my plans were when mine was to the point, and the owner knew I was doing this, when mine was to the point of, I would step away and do this, and that was, man, that was, that was it. That was where I wanted to be. And I thought, that's amazing. I had no clue where God's plan was. I had no clue how great his plan was. His plan makes mine look like garbage. I mean, I was chasing worldly, and he said, I got, I got godly. I'll take godly. I don't know about you guys. I'll take godly. You keep your stuff. I'll take godly. Nothing wrong with stuff, so don't come up with that one. But let me tell you, if, you, if you're battling depression, please do not be embarrassed about where you're at in your life. Please do not be embarrassed about it. Be willing to do life together, though. And let's, as a church, let's stretch out our arms. Let's do life together. Wouldn't that be amazing when we start stretching out our arms? I, 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 there's a, one of my favorite songs now is Come to the Altar. And when I hear that song, I think, that's, 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 that's it in a nutshell, if we had just come to the altar. And, and I think it starts with the local church. If we'll just come together, if we'll lift each other up in our times of hardship and hurting and aching and pain, if we'll just lift each other up in the name of Jesus, we'll see healing. We'll see prosperity. We'll see a changed community. I'm telling you, this gets me so excited that I've overcome, that I'm through Jesus, through, only through Him did I overcome, that I can stand up here today and do what I love to do, which is proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Because before I went through the battle, I couldn't have done it. I wasn't prepared. People ask me what I did before seminary. Little did I know I was preparing for ministry with the real world seminary. So let's do it, church. Let's, let's, let's change that model around. Let's meet people right where they're at. Let's, let's walk with people who are struggling, who have pain and has issues in their lives. Let's walk with them. We can't fix them, but Jesus Christ can. So today, if you're here and you don't have Christ, the first step is to have Christ. And, and people ask me, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And, uh, I believe what you're saying. I believe he's the son of God. And he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Call on his name. Call his name, Father, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm messed up, jacked up, I got all kinds of problems. But I understand you're my only hope, and today I surrender. That's the key, I surrender all to you, Father. I'll give you my pains, I'll give you the glory. I surrender it all to you, That's the Lord of my life. Today I call on your name, I submit to you, and I, and I surrender to you as the Lord of my life. I want you to come into my life as my Savior, and today I give it all. I believe this. If you sincerely have that prayer, and you, 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 you sincerely have it, it's not an emotional thing, but you sincerely have that prayer, and you start, you start living that life. You can't earn it. You just start, you start putting the principles in practice. I think you're in for an amazing journey. I think you have eternity secure, and I think heaven's having a party today. It says heaven will rejoice. So if you prayed that, I think, I think heaven's having a party. I would encourage you if you're here today, and that's a prayer you've had or are going to have, come up and grab, grab a matter myself. We'd like to talk with you. We'd like to walk with you. We'd like to extend our arms around you. There's others that I would introduce you to that will do the same as a church family because we do life better together. So let's just remember that, church. We, we, we can't do this alone. You can't do it alone. You, can, you can't face 
these kind of issues on your own. But together, amazing. You can stand here victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son who died on the cross. That through you, through you alone, we can be victorious. That we can claim victory over, over sin and over evil. It will always be there. It will always be in front of us. But we can claim victory, Father. So today we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. I personally thank you, Father, for the healing I've received. I pray that if there's anyone in this crowd today who are, has dealt with or is dealing with or knows someone dealing with depression, that you'll put your loving hand on them that they'll feel compelled to come forward or, or at least come to someone, Father, with I'm broken and I need some help. Give us the wisdom to be there to extend the help, which we know is Jesus. So my prayer is selfish. It's for healing, Father, for all those who are hurt and broken. It's to relieve the pain from those who, who because we've told them it should be embarrassing to come forward, felt embarrassed to do so, but today release them. Release them of the embarrassment. Release them of the guilt that they can come forward and say, my life is messed up and broken. But today I give it to Jesus. And let us respond accordingly, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our love and our hope is in you, Father, and only you. For it's these things we pray. Amen.